0: I'm just looking forward to chat. Excellent, excellent.
1: um where are you and and where did you grow up?
0: So I'm currently living in Berlin, Germany. I'm also coming from Germany. Berlin is like if someone doesn't know, it's like more in the like top northern northeastern quadrant of Germany and the capital. and I grew up like in it was it was always called like the Green heart of Germany, Thuringia and like a small five hundred inhabitants village there I'm close to a university city college city and when I think 2017 I moved to Berlin to pursue like a movement coach career so like most of my life I I spend in in my hometown and the closest like my home village and then the next closest town and now I'm in Berlin
1: very nice um the reason I wanted to talk to you uh you know we're fellow coaches on atg and and you do a lot of the or some of the the coaches calls which which have been very helpful and a couple of things i noticed about you one you have an incredible voice and and um accent so i think you should have your own podcast by the way just because like how it comes through <laughs> like it sounds so good so i think you should capitalize on that um but then just just your knowledge of of the human body and obviously moving um and kind of helping us learn as ATG coaches so I was very impressed with that and wanted to kind of just have a conversation with you um there so um if you could kind of tell me like how did you where did you get all the your knowledge um about the human body and and maybe talk about your education a little bit
0: yeah um I like I like to say that I'm self-taught because I was just like very curious and read about a lot of things. And whenever I ran into injuries and someone told me like, you just have to live with it, I started to um, read about it. But technically, if you think about it, you you cannot really be self-taught because you still learn from others. You learn from experiences, from books and everything. So I would just say I didn't have the conventional education in the sense of like studying sports, even though I initially wanted to do it. And before, like, or the, the brief background story for me is, like, I grew up in a very playful way on the village and did some sports, but was not really into competitive sports until I started playing some soccer, definitely extensively, but not competitively. And I used to run a lot. I was growing up with a dog, so I went running and, like, playing in the field and um, had a definitely, like, a playful child, but was always, like, the endurance runner, body type um, And... Then, with like growing up, hitting puberty, I started to be interested in some strength training. So, my father, who was doing spinning classes, took me to like a spinning class to just join him. But after two or three sessions, I was kind of bored and went into like the attached gym. Um, I think this was like age 13 or 12, something like this, because technically I was not allowed there. So, I was getting like a kind of like a rehab plan by a physical therapist to follow to be allowed to go to the gym. Um, I think there's some like insurance rules why minors are not allowed to go to gyms or like under 14 aged. And I was interested that gym did some of this rehab stuff, the super boring like abduction, adduction, hip machines, some some, mostly machines. But I found this cool counterweighted machine to train for dips and pull ups because back then I couldn't do one pull up or one dip. So I was essentially kneeling or standing on this machine and training like my first dips and pull ups until I unlocked it, and then shortly after, my father was installing me a pull-up bar in my living room, again around the age of, I think, 13-ish, and that's kind of started my, my journey into strength training, reading a lot of magazines, and I think mostly even unknown magazines because they were like small German ones, but like some training magazines, some books, and I went to the public library to start to read some stuff about training, because I felt like, oh, I want to also get big and bulky and strong. And as like someone who just hit puberty, this is not really easy to uh, obtain, especially as what you would likely call like a hard gainer who's more leaning towards the endurance uh, talents, I would call it. Um, but this game, game got me started and then I was essentially starting to read anything I could read from an FDB book. Some books were like well, like training science in general. Um, I tried a lot of sports, always hurt myself, like continuously every six months I got hurt, kind of like tried a new sport, but I I didn't want to accept getting hurt. So that's why I started to read more and more about the training side, because I felt like, okay, if I understand how certain parts of the body work, this might help me to understand how to not hurt myself or why something is, or even what is hurting right now. Like if your elbow hurts and you don't even know what an elbow is because it's, at this point, it was just this thing in my body that was covered by skin, but I had no understanding what was below there. So that's what kind of got me into it, this idea of many sports and being good. And then until the age of 18, I was just like training, learning and spending a lot of time researching training, essentially on a very low level. But still, this kind of gave me a good foundation. And then after i finished high school i wanted to at first study sports but this was kind of like the background story why i did not study sports there's like a physical exam you have to do and we received our high school diplomas i think in june like towards the end of the school year but the test was already in may and you had to apply for it in like april or something so Me naturally like being doing everything last second in a certain way. I was just checking once I got my high school diploma and now I'm going to like apply for college. And what happened was the test was over, I couldn't start it, I didn't have my exams. So then I decided to study IT instead. And once I was in IT, I just like the next year I didn't want to switch over. So that's kind of like the big turning point where I would say like Likely, if I would have studied sports, I would have made it like a direct career of studying sports science, exercise science, something like this. But instead, I continued to study um, IT and made sports kind of like my hobby or like my real passion on the side. And two, until like the last couple of years when I moved to Berlin, this was always my side project, not my full-time job or anything like this.
1: So much there. Um couple of things one I think it's so cool that yeah. your dad your your dad put a, a pull-up bar in and you still have bars behind you now uh, I, I assume you use for yeah. moving so I'm wondering yeah. um, maybe some parental influence I mean your dad was teaching spinning so he he must had some influence on on you moving can you talk about that a little bit yeah
0: so just to clarify I think I miss uh, formulated, he was like not teaching the class, just attending as like a participant. Okay. Um, nevertheless, there was definitely some influence. He had like a bit of a training background, like a small one. He did some like uh, arrow, how do you say, like bow and arrow shooting, um, archery. That's the word. Archery. He did some archery growing up and we used to like generally have a playful childhood and we were very supported to not spend too much time on the screens, usually limited to only a few hours per week. Growing in a, like a, on a house on the village meant like we had a garden. We played soccer on the uh, sports ground. For anyone not learning, like soccer is kind of like the biggest sport in Germany. So kind of every child was playing soccer. And we went to like there was a little lake nearby, and we had like this super tiny stream coming out of it that had like these huge concrete uh, surroundings that we could just utilize to build some like dams and just like play a lot on the outside in the field. So I would say this was like a huge influence and for sure, like the pull up bar, my mother, like, I don't know where she got it. I think there was a physical therapy that was kind of like dissolved and she got stall bars, like the, depending how you call them, like the Swedish bar stole bars behind me, these, I don't know how to call them. I think that's Swedish bars or stole bars. And so I knew these already. And the first pull up bar I think was even attached just to these, these are still the original ones, like stole bars. And then I had like a punching bag, a boxing bag there. So there was definitely a lot of support from my parental side, but there was never a push to get into like um, organized or competitive sport. And I think this built the foundation for me to just try a lot of things instead of really pursuing a career as like a professional or semi-professional soccer player or something like this. And now to like the, to date, I think still that this was one of the biggest influences it's that I was allowed to do whatever I wanted to do and dive into many sports from I had like cool or like nice friends of mine who I played soccer with and then every Friday their moms were going swimming so we started to just like if they're going to swim we can join them so we spent some time swimming together on Friday nights I did some I tried a couple of martial arts spent a lot of time with the, the punching bag boxing bag um I went into gymnastics originally because uh my neighbor a good friend of mine a neighbor was like in gymnastics was kind of like bored and got me into it. like hey you have to join me so i tried it for a couple of weeks didn't enjoy it but came back like a year later and then he left already so that was kind of like my background in. again was non-competitive it was a group of like nearly age difference of like nearly 10 years from like i would say like 8 to 17 or something like this with a old trainer who i think trained some of the old gdr um team, Olympic team or something like this, he was like a competitive GDR gymnast, but he had his like whole career stop. I think, because of some heart issues, and he started teaching us, and to date, I think he was one of the, or the second biggest influence on me, because I will never forget how he structured these classes, it was like a one-hour training class, and the first 15 or 20 minutes, we're allowed to do whatever we want to do. So just like warm up however you want to, and this allowed some explorational learning, And then the warm-up was always like every single gymnast who was attending had to come up with a warm-up exercise. And you could really see the difference in the group because there were some kids, we were like sometimes 10 children. And the first one was doing push-ups, the second one was doing L-sit, and the third one was doing push-ups again. So they were so not interested in it that they literally forgot what they did like one exercise before and named the same one. But for me, it was always a cool challenge to think about and be like, oh, if they did push-ups and l which was both holding and abs and stuff, I'll do some hanging, or I'll do some legs or something, like or stretch. And then the trainer usually gave us one 15-minute block of, like, one apparatus he was teaching us, and we had to do certain routines. And then we had around, I think, a 15-minute block, that we were allowed to choose um, what we wanted to do. So we were choosing one apparatus, but he was giving us the routine or the training material. And in a certain way, if I look back at it, I think this was a really nice influence on me to super softly go into the world of training, coming up with own routines in a relatively diverse sport, as in gymnastics, you can have jumping, upper body strength, super coordinated things that you just drill for like hundreds of reps and you overcome, like we did these weird tests of like climbing up on the poles and then falling down in the foam pit and always going higher to like overcome the fear. So I would say this was a big influence.
1: That's beautiful, man. I I love what that coach did. I just interviewed um, two days ago uh, for the podcast. It's not out yet, but I I would love for you to, to listen or watch this. I interviewed Alex Sarama. He's a basketball coach in Italy. A younger guy and he is. I'm thinking about him because of what you said about this other coach, but he's very focused on ecological Mm -hmm. dynamics and kind of perception, action movements and coaching basketball through Mm -hmm. that lens with a constraints led approach as as opposed to drilling and one on zero basketball drilling. Um, Kind of tries to involve game action and small sided games and everything that he does, but there's a ton of freedom and autonomy that he he's trying to convey as well and i think that gymnastics coach just to give you that 15 minutes i mean first you just have to wonder okay what do i do and just having to ask yourself that question kind of forces you to consider your body consider the environment your constraints or or what have you and then how am i going to move in this environment so it gives you such a, a nudge to start considering things outside of yourself and within yourself. So that's so very cool that he did that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it took me some time to realize it and I'm definitely going to listen to the podcast once it's out, it sounds super interesting. It's, you can even see how the group is splitting there between the ones who are like really, nearly forced or pushed by their parents to just go there and they're like just stagnating for years. And then the ones who literally come there because they chose to and they wanted to. And then it's you nearly had like a to-do list that you wanted to do that you came there with and were like, oh, no, the first 15 or 25 minutes are over already. I wanted to continue like on my routine or my stuff. And while I do think some discipline can be super helpful, like pursuing a sports career, improving like the physical capabilities, intrinsic motivation, especially if it's um, developed in a very healthy way i would say can be super amazing and looking back i think because my parents didn't force me to do anything and i could always transition in the beginning i didn't became like a super good sports person anything but it built a certain type of joy that builds most of the fundament for my passion my job nowadays
1: yeah interesting and i have a 10 year old daughter right now so i'm really focused on this one thing i i hold high value in is basically exposure and instead of kind of pushing into or focusing on one thing just trying to create some range and expose my daughter Matilda uh, to basically as much as possible let her know what's out there let her try which is another thing you you said early uh, earlier in the conversation that you were able to try a lot of things or taste things so I see a lot of value in that
0: like 100 percent and this this is something that definitely is a certain type of privilege in the same that Like um, we used to have like extracurricular activity in school. That was like there was a Kung Fu class that just went on for like a, a few weeks to like now mm-hmm. in how the year I attended, but this had some influence. And then some like we had a, like I started with some basic parkour and then we had like a parkour slash free running class in school. We mainly just did like flips on the trampoline. That we had like in um, how, oh no, I forgot the name. How do you call like the place where people, if they stay on the school and sleep and live in um, if they go to school? Uh,
1: boarding boarding school?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. so yep. I were, like I was growing up on a very science-based specialized school. just like in primary school, I enjoyed doing like math and nature science, and then literally ten minutes away from like my car, ten minutes away from where I was living. like on the northern end of the city, Um, there was the school that was like famous in whole Germany and even like winning international competitions in math, physics, biology, all of these things. And I was like never really into this stuff, but I enjoyed it. So my math teacher and um, yeah, main teacher recommended me to go there. We had to do like an exam there. So I went to the school and they had good funding. It was like a public school but like partially private in the sense that they had private funding. So we had super cool equipment. We had like heaps of science classes. We were allowed to have like a, a specific curriculum with like more math. And because friends of mine were going to different schools, nearly any nature science topic we had, we had one or two years earlier than the other schools. And while the school was like the geekiest, nerdy school you can imagine, and there were a lot of social interactions missing or social skills for sure, We had some cool activities and the boarding school nearby after school had access to the school's training facilities from like a weight room to the essentially just the gym, like the gymnasium. So this kind of opened the doors for me because a couple of my friends were on like the boarding school aspect of the school. I was able to join them and do some different sports with them, playing table tennis, ping pong, soccer, basketball, any stuff like this after school, staying with them. And at the same time, I believe that this, I didn't really enjoy most of the math and nature science and stuff like this, but I got such a more fundamental, like advanced education, in these fields, that reading some biomechanic principles in an exercise science book for me was not like boring theory, but finally some application of all of the stuff I learned in school before. Does this make sense?
1: Totally, and I think the exposure to a lot of things doesn't just tell us what we like it, but it helps define quickly what we don't like too.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: It can help us narrow in on on what we want to do. You mentioned parkour and, you know, looking at your pages and your social media and stuff like, I mean, I love how you move. That's another thing that really impressed me. but how would you describe some of the moving that you're doing now? You mentioned parkour. Um, I think you're coaching people through some movement. Um, so, yeah. you know, I don't think a lot of people, especially in the States, know um, a lot about that stuff. So, can yeah. you explain that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. So, again, just to tap into the history, I did a lot of sports, always got hurt. And that way I was kind of like a jack of all trades and, and training, but I didn't find like a name for this. And then around between 2008 and 2010, I found the first videos on the blog from Edu Portal. For anyone not knowing, he's like a kind of like movement coach from Israel who called this thing like movement with an uppercase M as a type of, he called it like a holistic, generalistic practice of like not becoming the best in one thing, but pursuing as many physical traits as possible Um, for quite some time. I was like a even a fanboy and really enjoyed it. But his coaching was super expensive. So I just like soaked up all of the free content. But there is, I would say like a, it's still niche, but still a relatively big niche called, it's usually referred to as a movement practice, movement training, movement culture, depending on who you're talking to. Some are like super extremists and say it's not training. It's like practice and lifestyle and it's about the culture anything, but Effectively, I found something that united a lot of things that I wanted to do, where I didn't feel like, okay, when I always do things and get hurt, I can't pursue them for long, I'm shit at everything. And this person found this perspective of like, don't be the best in one thing, but be kind of like bad at everything. So if you take someone who's like a soccer player, he will be or she will be much better than you in soccer. But... If you compare all of the other skills that are out there, you will likely be slightly better in many different things because you have a generalistic approach. And this can, again, lead into a certain type of a, like elitist thinking. But it's just the cool idea of instead of getting perfect in one thing and oftentimes suffering from what was described as like specialist diseases or overuse diseases. For example, you play always tennis with one arm and your like, shoulder starts to hurt. It was more like a generalistic approach, which factored in strength and conditioning, mobility training, but also coordination like juggling, parkour, like environmental practice, hand balancing inversions, acrobatics, martial arts, a lot of partner work, partner games that don't even have a fighting context anymore, but still you do some stuff with a partner, dance, you name it. And I'm super lucky or like super happy that I found this type of perspective at the age of Wait a second, I was like 15-ish, I wouldn't say 15-ish, because this gave me a foundation of instead of trying to find something that I didn't fit in before, I found something that I felt like I fit in. And because I couldn't afford the coaching, it made me research it myself and connect with a lot of others. And there were dancers, b-boys, gymnasts. I, I dove into calisthenics a lot and went to the weight room had exchange with sports students who came from all different fields. And I would say this movement world can just make you very open-minded because you know, any type of person you go to who does any type of sports you can learn from. And there are certain principles to follow. Sometimes it sounds even like a religion, but like this idea of like everyone can be a teacher as long as you're like a good student and you're just willing to listen. And That's what I would say. I still teach nowadays. I just in a certain way distance myself from the exact teaching of like this movement culture, because everyone has their own decision or like their own definition. And I just felt like I have a stronger interest in some acrobatic stuff. So looking back at the last 15 years, 14 years of like training, if stuff in a certain way is acrobatic and it interests me more and you can think about like Taekwondo is like a more acrobatic martial art or parkour, gymnastics. Even CrossFit was interesting because they also did like muscle ups and ring work and stuff like this, which doesn't mean if something is not acrobatic, I don't do it. But I would say if someone would come to me and say like, hey, describe your movement, then I would say there's always a certain type of acrobatic component to it.
1: Yeah, I noticed on your website, um, you kind of labeled yourself yourself as an acrobat. And I had never met anyone that had said that, so I thought that was so cool. And I wanted to learn a little bit more about it, Um, but a couple of things come up about the movement culture. One you you mentioned, you know, being open minded. I wonder if a certain personality actually will lend itself because you might have to be open to some of this movement culture stuff. So only a certain type of person might enter into that world.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would absolutely agree with that, especially because, because I was not so competitive, I had an easy time. Sometimes I get a bit competitive, and then I notice I want to pursue one thing, and always drives me away from being more generalistic. Because then I feel like, oh, this one gymnastic move is super cool, and I want to learn it, or this one acrobatic move, and then I realize, like, for example, for some time I was really into parkour. And I used to suffer from knee pain, starting for like that originally came from soccer and some like joint issue that came with just growing up. And then like my knees were usually a bit overloaded from jumping and flipping a lot. So I used to limit a lot of my leg training to plyometric stuff and just did like squats and weightlifting very sparely. because if I did flips twice a week, my legs usually used to hurt. If I did one intense like fitness squat session or leg session. Um, I couldn't do my second acrobatic session and then later on I realized that this was exactly the specialized perspective that long-term like threw me back because now that I do some more like strategical like training with different types of squads and like some of the ATG material was very helpful there I can pursue more of the acrobatics in a more pain-free fashion while still not limiting me too much because I used to always go very extremely about the training jumping until I literally couldn't walk home anymore or squatting and training because I did it so rarely I wanted to do like full effort and then in return I couldn't walk I couldn't do something for a couple days um yeah
1: I want to talk about your your knee pain and things in a little bit but that theme uh, keeps coming back of range and you know generalization I I kind of struggle with this myself or I I mean I love the fact that I am, I consider myself a Jack of all trades, but then there's that master of none. You know, I've read a lot of books and you hear a lot of information of if you want to be really successful in something, or if you want to be a high achiever, you have to really have ultimate focus on one thing and spend a ton of time. And I honestly can't do that. I have a ton of interests and I want to try so many different things. and then you know i've i've also read other books like range that tell you actually you know that that's a great way to do it so i i don't think there's only one way obviously there are many ways but um i do get bored quickly with things and i've had to kind of be aware of that because i i do want to go deep on some things and i want to you know um achieve some depth and and really um connect with certain things Um, but I also want to be tasting, like I'm ready to go and try something else so I get bored quickly. Can you talk about that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. So likely I would have answered this differently a few years back because my answer would have been like, try to do all things at the same time. And nowadays I believe that some type of project-based work can be very nice. So if you are currently super interested in one thing, I don't think it's a bad idea to spend more time on this one thing. As long as you don't neglect your, what I call like the general practice and the general practice can just be your normal training that you usually do in a certain way, but like diving into like projects or phases into these. The second idea, and that's, that's something that I love doing is the idea of like maintaining through complexity. So I'll just give you like a super simple example. Maybe you like everyone I think who's listening knows like a toast to bar, you hang, On your arms on like a ring or bow or anything like this then you lift your legs towards the hands takes a lot of like hamstring and posterior chain mobility a lot of compression strength in the anterior chain and then in some disciplines you can also do this in a a circular fashion that's like descriptively called as a windshield wiper or you can do like the so-called meat hook which is essentially like hanging on one arm and then pulling kind of like the legs across behind you a lot of different variations and you can very easily go into this fear of missing out, like FOMO, of oh, no, there's so many variations, I can't do them. But then the cool thing is you can add some complexity to it. Like I'm not going to do the traditional 10 reps of chose to bar, but I do a few where I lift it to the middle. Then I put my leg to the left arm to the right arm across it. I bend my knees, uh, go a little bit left and right. And this is one set. And this one set is maybe not the most effective thing of only improving toes to bar, but in the spectrum of improving my my general ability of doing all of these related skills, it is very helpful. And this can be something like, you want to just maintain your pull-ups, then you take one of these pull-up bars with the different handles, and you try to do one different pull-up in every different grip. Underhand, overhand, wide, narrow, cross, inline, mixed grip, all of this stuff, and you end up with like five to 15 different variations, it's still fatiguing. It's more like a cluster set, but it maintains a lot of stuff. And if one is able to zoom out a bit from the very traditional training methods of we're doing five sets of five, where every rep is supposed to look as identical as possible, and every set is going to be as similar as possible with similar weights after the warm-up, and can zoom out to say like, oh, wait a second, I could, like in a, just a simple example, if I do some parkour and I like jump over some poles or something, my steps will be shorter and longer, I will jump a bit up and down, left and right, and this is what I refer to as micro-variation. I do the same thing, but I vary it a bit. It is still going to be a pull-up, and if you take just one of these different looking reps and like show it to a different person, they will all label it as a pull-up. But if you do all in a row, someone will say like, Oh, that's weird. You do so many different pull ups, like plural. So if you're interested in doing multiple things or maintaining your, your practice and doing multiple things at the same time, I think it's key to zoom out from some of the traditional fitness concepts that are like, I use the example of powerlifting. You have like your bench squat deadlift, you have some accessory lifts and the maximum variation is you might do like a Zumo or Romanian deadlift, and you do like these small variations, but you have your main squat that you do mainly. And then think about just like as an ATG or something, you can think about your squat pattern could be trained with like cyclist squats or BMO squats, front squats, back squats, high bar, low bar, overhead squat, goblet squat, um, split squats, Cossack squats or lateral split squats, all of these different variations. And in the bigger picture, if you do all of these variations, one variation a week, over like 10 weeks, I do not think that after over 10 weeks, you will lose a lot of strength on all of these patterns, especially not if you sum up all 10 patterns you train over 10 weeks, one a week. And we just usually tend to just measure one special thing, like my exact back squat, Nova bar setup, barely getting my hip pressed or like my hip joined under my knee joint and my max number is the one thing, the one metric that I measure everything from. And if we can um, essentially zoom out of this perspective, then I think it can be very easy to do many more things at the same time and not lose out or be overwhelmed.
1: That's really helpful. It makes me think somewhat of time whereas if we focus on the one thing we may be able to maximize in the short term but um, the generalization is more of a long-term marathon approach whereas you know over a long period of time there'll be kind of a synthesizing of knowledge and abilities that will come together
0: yeah Yeah. Uh, and like this is a topic it could go in for hours i'll try to keep it short here but i'm super passionate also researching this Because in a certain way, I do believe that our research and knowledge in the training world is uh, very much formed or shaped by what we currently do. And if we think about most sports that we do, they are super linear and simple in the sense that we have like powerlifting or weightlifting or like CrossFit and CrossFit is already like much more complex. And I think this is a different topic, but we still have most of the sports very simple. And if we look at the research, a lot of research is done on how can I get my squat up by doing squats? And if I have one metric and I want the direct direct improvement, that's simple. But if I think about a climber who has to have so many different types of like pulling abilities with leg support and lateral movements, vertical, diagonal, so many different arm positions. You will likely not go to a climber and tell them if you can just get your one exact chin-up technique up as much as possible, your climb will improve much more than if you climb. And the reason is that if you climb on a wall and you have different routes and different setups, you will likely have so many different training stimuli. And if we start to stop measuring, if we stop to only measure one thing and start to measure the bigger picture, then we will see completely different outcomes. Because if I measure a movement practice that gets me better in a million things at my squat bench deadlift, it will be the worst practice ever. And that is completely obvious. And if someone is just transitioning from, let's say, weightlifting, where they have a couple key lifts and like a couple mobility traits, and goes into practice where, for example, um, I in some of the acrobatics, you do flips. And I have to say, anyone who's doing flips before a front flip sometimes sounds like less frightening than a back flip but biomechanically is it way harder because the full rotation comes very much from your knee joint and in a certain way you can think about your your front squat a standing front flip is more like a front squat or a sissy squat or BMO squat which is much weaker than your back squat or deadlift And in a backflip, you accelerate more backwards. It's coming much more from the hip joint. With your glutes and everything, you're much stronger. So if I would only train one type of vertical jump and improve it, it will likely only improve my jump in general. But I need so different abilities on a standing front, back, or side flip than just a vertical jump, that already there, I start to have to train different joint dominant pattern and stuff like this. And the reason why I feel like this is so important is if I just take jumping flips and a couple basic lifts for it, I would always necessarily train my front squats or even sissy squats and my back squats and hip thrusts and some type of like, for example, like an offset loaded squat where I have like a, a dumbbell or a kettlebell only in one hand to have more transfer to my side flip or anything like this. and. If we can make these tiny connections of like slowly thinking out of the box, I believe this can be amazing for instead of instantly pursuing a practice where you have a million goals, go from a practice with three metrics to practice with like 10 metrics. And then season by season or year by year, you broaden your horizon. You start to be like, oh, I love handstands and my new PR is also how long you can hold the handstand. And I will find out that nearly none of my conventional lifts will ever relate to this. And this slowly transitions into this idea of like, for a soccer player, his performance on the field benefits from a lot of the lifts, but no one is going to score more goals because of a a heavier back squat or back squat PR. And that's kind of what I feel like the movement world can can bring in.
1: that's really helpful um and it it keeps things interesting for me too so you don't don't get bored with a one particular um, focus and it it makes me think back again to the coaching and the the movement theory around ecological dynamics because what i did as a basketball coach and what a, a lot of traditional coaches do is drill with fundamentals this is exactly how you should put your feet for this layup or even with soccer, this is exactly how you're going to kick the ball. But then as we know, the sport is so dynamic. And then when it's studied, there is no movement that is the same, you know, every single time there are so many dynamic movements. Um, So to be able to train, to have the perception action, see what's happening and then react based on that. Um, And to kind of train in a way which gives you a range to allow for all these, these different movements that's that's very helpful
0: it's this is kind of the i mean we like we can never prepare for anything in the world and but there's this one funny term or concept in the movement world called improper alignment that has the idea that you can we always usually strive for perfect alignment like the perfect form backspot or perfect form lunge. But if you think about it in real life, if there's like a bump on the field or like a, an earth clump or something like this and you trip or you roll your ankle, you want strength and way more ranges. And this means A, having more range of motion available in a very active passive way of like, for example, can I open up my shoulders more like a swimmer? And does this help me in some sports? But then also this idea of like, there's certain directions that joints are not supposed to move into where we can load and condition them. And just as an example, in gymnastics and calisthenics there's this straight arm strength. Straight arm strength just means think about like a straight arm mat pull down or a a side like delt brace like lateral delta brace. If you think about it your your elbow is like your bicep is neither pointing up or down it's pointing more forward in a normal traditional technique and this means you load technically the outside of your elbow and there's some muscles running there but it also loads some of the ligaments in the joints and if you just do lateral delt raises, likely your muscle will limit you all the time. But in gymnastics, if you try to support your whole body weight in a press to handstand, an iron cross and rings or some type of like lever position, you now start to have not just like 10, 20 kilograms resisting you, but your whole body weight. And then joints, these lateral aspects, especially on the joints, can become a, a limiting factor. And the idea of improper alignment is like not just training in the most traditional straight alignment, but getting strongly into the position of a rolled ankle. And just like a it's the amazing coincidence that it happened. On Monday morning, I was coming back from a PT client and there were some weird stair steps and I just missed two. I just got like a call. I took my phone up, I looked at the phone and I missed two steps and I like tripped over one, landed on the top of the second one. My, my toes stuck. And I completely front folded my ankle, rolled it outwards and like completely collapsed on this ankle. And this was like my whole body weight coming down from like whatever, like two feet, three feet high distance on my ankle. I was already getting like an the high and felt like, worst case, could have like torn ligaments, broke my ankle, something like this. But, and like in the past, I used to suffer from rolling my ankle a lot. But we usually train a bit at least in like this movement world. Is this idea of like training out of alignment, like training weird joint positions, like overextending the wrists, the fingers, all of these different like stretches and loading them. And I also do this for my ankles as a, a side practice, similar to like a, a boxer would likely train their wrists to be stable. And I'm super happy. It's not a guarantee, so you like. I don't like the term bulletproof too much because a bullet will always kill you or likely kill you and your joints will not be bulletproof. In a car accident or big, you can always hurt yourself. But you can become more resilient. Mm. And, like, I couldn't really walk. I walked back to the car. I had, like, a one-hour commute home. My foot was hurting a lot. I gave it a lot of rest the last couple of days. But if I think back about this stuff, I'm nearly one hundred percent sure that my ankle would have been, like, a full fully devastated with like torn ligaments and like broken bones from this like heavy fall and it didn't and this this might be like saying too much so like everyone can think about it what they want but if you think about like 10 years having the ankles in some weirder position and using progressive overload also on the joints and with joints I really mean going to direction that are not normal like I, I usually for one month sometimes walk on the outside of my feet in like a lot of eversion inversion i do calf races where i only stand of my big toe instead of the whole ball of the foot like not the big toe itself but the ball of the big toe and only the ball of the little toe so that i learn to carry my whole body weight on the like the full outside on a calf race and the inside all of these different variations progressively built into warm-up i think can like multiplicate your joint resilience and if we do more stuff like this and we slowly factor it in, I think this could make a big difference in injury, re- or injury rate. And this was not a competitive aspect. This was not training. This was literally a bad decision of taking my phone out on like a dark, in a dark staircase in the morning, being tired and looking on a bright phone, missing steps. Like, absolutely daily life
1: which is very common for the general population too and kind of good to know and you know one yeah. thing obviously the atg has exposed to me is that we can work these joints we can make them more resilient we don't have to say bulletproof because that can yeah, yeah skew what people think but we can um, build those up to kind of protect us from these everyday occurrences that so many people are having so it's it's been eye-opening for me um, to say the least, and you know my sport was basketball, and I had knee surgeries, so I've been really trying to focus on those knees, and it's it's been so nice, just the confidence that you gain when you start feeling, oh my gosh, my joints feel so healthy and good, and seeing VMOs and that kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure you've heard a lot of this, um, but if we yeah. could talk a little bit about kind of go back to talk about that that human body design and the different musculature and i'm yeah. i'm very lacking in this department i'm an english major and i you know i'm studying as as much as i can but um being on the coach's calls with you and here yeah. your college has been so refreshing but one thing that i noticed is for instance a calf muscle the gastro the gastrocnemius um, how yeah. it spans across the knee joint and kind of reaches up with its two hooks and attaches to the femur like before yeah. studying any of this stuff for me i you know i just thought okay i have a muscle down there i have a muscle there and that you know and i never thought of it in this way of leverage but seeing it in the design it, one it's just like beautiful how it all works and comes together but yeah. um so cool how the spanning across joints and all the leverage it creates can you talk about this a little bit
0: specifically the gastrocnemius or in general some of these anatomical
1: I would just say in research. general what you're interested in or or you know um your yeah. knowledge or yeah
0: um okay like I hope it's fine that I'm always cycling back a bit but like I think it makes it makes it easier to understand some sort of these things. there's a lot of science and research happening for a lot of sports but if you happen to enjoy a sport that doesn't have a lot of research supporting it you run into some issues. There's not much literature, not much evidence of research. For me, this was again, calisthenics, gymnastics, parkour. Yes, there's some studies done on like muscle activity in a deadlift and back then you know, like there's EMG data, no matter how important this is, but there's, there's a lot of stuff you can find out. I found very little info, like actually like biomechanics for these sports or how certain things need to be progressed, how hard they are and so on. So that was a thing that always like caught my curiosity. And if you think about it for like all of these fields, technically the body is still a machine. It's a tremendously complex machine we can't really understand, but some things at least you can still understand and use models. So even if we don't exactly understand how some things work, models can give us relative knowledge. So I know if a certain lever arm is so long and the other one is so short, there's a relative intensity relation between them. And this is something that I was super interested on in an anatomical, anatomical standpoint. I don't know if it's something that came with me over to, to me over time or just um, is a talent. I have a, I can now imagine a lot of stuff visually in 3D. So if I learn how a muscle runs in a certain way, I can imagine how it's positioned with different movements. So how I'll, I'll just have this here to just give you an example. Um, give me one second no problem imagine like this is like a imagine this is a muscle attaching here and if this muscle like this white thing is pulling it down and up this is just moving it but if it wraps around it and I pull on it it does not only pull this thing down it also rotates it
1: Hmm.
0: depending depending on what
1: side it wraps on
0: exactly and Like, early on I realized, wait a second, this also means if this muscle is attaching here, right, and I rotate this bone, then just by rotating this bone, this muscle doesn't have a direct impact only on, like, um, moving the bone, but it also starts to rotate it. So even if some muscles don't initially rotate a lot, if we go into a certain rotational position, they can pull us back into what for the muscle is the normal middle attachment. And when we can understand, like just to give you like a super simple example here, if you if we look at the diameter of this pipe here, the muscle attaching outside of it, its leverage on rotation will be the center of this thing to the end. So it's a relatively short leverage in rotation. If this is the joint here and my muscle is attaching here, it has this long leverage to move this thing down, but it only has this super tiny leverage to rotate it. So many muscles can be very strong movers and weak rotators so that no one comes up with like a weird idea says like, oh, every muscle is a rotator. We just have to rotate and then becomes a rotator. This can't be like diminishing. Still, if I understand how certain muscles work just anatomically as a model, this helps me to understand their function better. And this is why I believe, or this is where I believe there's a lot of truth to be found or logic. Because I didn't know a lot of stuff and didn't find a lot of evidence about different movements, for example, in calisthenics, like what does this move train or how can I do to learn this move? But just from how gravity works and how my body's positioned, I can find out what movements gravity is kind of like pushing me into and what I have to do to resist and then I understand which muscles I need to do this because of their origin insertion, how they run through the body. And for anyone who's interested in really in the stuff and like making more general logical statements, studying anatomy, like starting to picture and there's amazing apps on the phone you can have to just have 3D animations of muscles. This is super amazing. And if you then add this together with a couple principles from biomechanics, like for example, what I always say is like the muscle is not just like a motor that can just pull. The muscle is also in a sense in its middle lengthened position. So when it's not fully stretched and not fully shortened, it's usually the strongest. And the more muscle is stretched, the weaker it gets, and the more muscle is shortened, the weaker it gets. So this means if a muscle is in its middle position lengthwise, it is a bit stronger or relatively much stronger than if it's fully shortened. And if anyone wants like an example for this stuff, You can take nearly any end range movement and try to use just one or two pounds there and you feel how hard it is compared to if you're like in the middle range of a muscle so like if you do a bicep curl and you try to hold your arm like this this position your forearm is horizontal meaning you have like a a specific leverage just holding a small weight here is very hard dumbbell if i hold the arm like this it's still horizontal it still has the same leverage but my muscle's in its middle range now, so I can hold much more weight here. And if I would be like, what's a good example? Um, if I would be like this, it's much harder again, because now this muscle is very stretched again, or relatively stretched. And this becomes especially interesting with muscles that spend two joints. So you were describing this one calf muscle that runs over two joints. So if one joint, Is lengthening the muscle and the other joint is shortening the muscle, it stays longer in the middle position. So, and I'm back in a second, give me one second. (laughs) To to explain this thing with like a bend, let's imagine this is a muscle and then like my hands at the two ends. If one of them stretches, so I stretch here, it gets longer. If I stretch here, it also gets longer. If I stretch here and shorten on the other side, the length stays relatively the same. Not all the time, but a bit. And for me, this was a super amazing thing in the human anatomy to learn that we have a lot of muscles that span two joints, which sounds like a bit weird, because if you think about it like this, if a muscle spans two joints, that means if this muscle contracts, it always moves two joints. That's much harder to coordinate in the first place. That's. Yeah, it's a bit hard to coordinate in, in the normal sense. But our brain can just solve this task quite easily. And there seems to be like a super amazing benefit from this that allows us to, if we do like a movement, like a pull-up, the bicep is longer in its middle range, allowing it to build more strength or exert more strength because it runs over two joints. And things like this can be super exciting and... If, if it's not too much theory here, if anyone is interested in this, you can literally find out there are so many muscles or part of muscles that span two joints, and it's a relatively simple topic, but can be so rewarding to find out, wait a second, this happens if I roll, this happens if I pull up both ways with my bicep. This also happens with my tricep if I do a bench press or an overhead press or dip. It's always lengthening a part of the muscle on one side and shortening it on the other side. And if you start to have these nice, rewarding moments where you feel like you understand something and you see a practical application, sorry, a practical application where one movement is easier than the other one because of these principles, then the real research starts.
1: Yeah, so not just having the book sense, but then, you know, going out into your movement practice and being able to feel these different things, or especially when you start feeling improvement after putting these things into practice, it's just so it has a compounding effect, I guess.
0: Uh, yeah, and to be honest, like I, I do some, some business mentoring on the side and like coach mentoring and that's, we can tap into this later, like that's also what I do, like why I love working for hg for coaches and working with coaches and I'm educating them. And one of the things that I really recently realized is like, if you can make this really digestible, it is much better than just like a textbook. And the cool thing is, there are endless applications, so I, I just give everyone a super good example to like to maybe spark your uh, curiosity a bit. Everyone should know that the bicep is running like over the elbow, and so this means if I extend my arm, it stretches this muscle. But the bicep is called biceps. This is like Latin bi, kind of meaning two, and seps comes from like caput, meaning head, because it has two heads. So the bicep is literally called the muscle with the two heads. Technically, it's called bicep brachii, like the bicep of the upper arm, Brachium is like the upper arm, that's too much detail, but that's a cool thing if you learn the Latin terms, every muscle has a logical name, like latissimus dorsi, lat meaning like wide, latitude, you know, like being broad or wide, and dorsi meaning just dorsal, the back, so this is the wide back muscle, but coming back to the bicep, both of its other ends don't stop at the upper arm, but they run over the shoulder drawing and attach on the shoulder blade. And parts of the shoulder blade. So this means that shoulder movements also influence the length. And if you want to experience this, try to stretch your bicep. Even if you fully extend your elbow and you can even like overextend a bit, there's not much of a stretch, or maybe there's a bit of a stretch. If you start to hold with your hand against an object, like I love to use a door frame, I'll just use my table here right now, and then I turn away from my arm, I start to feel a stretch. Because especially this one head that runs over my shoulder to the front here, as I bring my arm behind me, gets stretched more. Or I can place my hand on the table, or you don't know, or like here in the air, and like turn down in a way like this. This also stretches it more. So, this is a super simple practical experience of understanding wait a second, why doesn't this stretch the arm if the muscles is fully stretched? because both ends ran under the shoulder and I have to also stretch my shoulder together with the elbow. And if you do the stretch that I showed you before and you have a stretch in the bicep and then you just start to bend your elbow a bit, I don't know if you can see this, I start to bend my elbow a bit. My camera doesn't like it, just start bending it. (laughs) The stretch will go away and be only in the shoulder because what you now did is, even though we stretched it at the shoulder, we started bending the arm and took tension away here. I see. And stretches are felt like, this is like a haptic feedback. You can always feel it. So the tricep, it's the same thing. You have no stretch in the tricep. If you bend your elbow completely, once you get it overhead behind the head, you have this long long stretch running down here and you can experience this for any muscle. And there you go. You have your first experience of connecting anatomy, practical application and some type of stretching.
1: And that's a good, simple way to, to think of it. And, um you did mention kind of simplifying and having a digestible approach, which is so, so huge for coaches. I think this comes down to language a lot of times and just being able to simplify and, and describe things in an easy way. So that's, that's nicely put. Um, and then another thing, this makes me wonder about, you know, we're talking about spanning joints and connecting in joints. So now we're getting into like tendons. Um, a lot, and yep. and actually building up those connective tissues, which again, ATG does a good, such a good job of, at least um, encouraging us to do, and um, so that's that's been yep. nice just to kind of learn about those those connecting points.
0: And just to like add one detail there, to be honest, this is quite simple. Like it sometimes sounds very complex because it's like, oh, there's so many muscles in the body. Most of the muscles are like part of specific categories. And if you know these categories, they work very much the same. So every muscle usually ends up like the muscle is kind of like a motor and the motor is connected to something to transfer the force. And this is what a tendon is. So like oftentimes still, we have these public beliefs about tendons saying like, oh, my tendon is too short. Oftentimes it's not the tendon being too short as a side note, and it's more coming from the muscle, but like my tendons, many just call these names, but if you would ask them what is a tendon, it's very hard to describe, but if you use some analogy like a muscle, you have kind of like your, your muscle is like a motor and then the tendons are kind of like your, the chains that just like transfer the power output to somewhere like your wheels or whatever you do, if it's a car, and then essentially your gas pedal or like your engine, the engine, like the the electric system is kind of your nervous system that tells the muscle to fire and how much to fire. So the way that's your nervous system and the more you can hit the gas, the more you can like have your muscle fire. And then you have kind of like the things you're moving and this is your skeletal system. It's a bunch of bones that are connected with each other and bones essentially just like sticks stuck together. They don't really stick. So to to, like minimize the friction between them, we have cat cartilage and the cartilage let it glide very nicely. This is already super simple. Okay, what's cartilage? That's just the thing that makes the bones glide nicely. That's kind of like your your anti-friction material. And then if you have two bones sit together, you can always try it like two hard things glide relatively nice together but if you add some liquid it glides even better so this is your like a joint liquid but liquid would spell away so what does it what stops kind of liquid to go out it's kind of like your joint capsule that like seals the cartilage and liquid together so that it stays this is super simplified like please don't Take this as the perfect exact example, but like think about it as a simple thing. You have these hard bones, then you have like cartilage in between that make it slip nicer. You have this liquid, this like, joint liquid, that's called synovia, that lets you, allows you to glide better and supplies them with nutrients. Then you have the capsule around it. You have a super simple system. And then joints could still bend into any direction possible. So to block or avoid unwish movement, we have ligaments. So for example, my elbow is supposed to bend and extend. It's not supposed to bend in like this upward way or downward way. And then I'll have like ligaments in different ways, stopping unnecessary movement. This can be blocking rotation, like in the knee. This can be blocking lateral movement. And in the knee, it's super simple. Like some maybe have like some medial uh, collateral um, ligament damage or lateral like LCL or MCL, maybe you heard it before. Those are just like the bands on the sides, inside and outside of the knee, limiting a lot of the lateral movement where no muscles are really protecting you a lot. And technically the whole thing I just gave you is base level, but that's the whole anatomy and um, a lot of the anatomy to know. And there's much more specific anatomy with understanding how muscles work and fascia and how like tendons attach and all of these complicated things. But if you can take this one thing away, as like, okay, now I know a couple of terms, can imagine this as the super visual thing. I have a 10 times better understanding of what's going on in the body. And it will not start to tell like, oh no, my ligaments are too short. I have to stretch my ligaments. That's the worst thing to happen. That's literally like having loose tires. It's like, you don't want to stretch your ligaments. They are there to like prevent unwanted movement. And only in certain senses, we want to improve it a bit so that we have more movement but ligaments are passive. They are literally like, they, they don't actively contract. So this means any motion a ligament or joint allows, a muscle needs to control. And this costs you a lot of energy. And that's why the body doesn't want it usually to happen. Very simplified. Sorry for going off board here for a second.
1: No, that was super helpful. And uh, thinking of the ligaments in that way is, is very helpful. So thank you for that. Um, can you talk a little bit about your own knee pain? You know, you had some joint pain. I think it was from a yeah. lot of parkour and jumping. You were saying my my knees, um, I've had three surgeries on one knee and then just started, I'm 42 now, but last year started with a ton of pain right in the front, um, yeah. right in the front of the knee. So can you just talk about your experience with, with knee pain and, and maybe how you got yeah. out of it?
0: Yeah, absolutely so um, very important here is that like I luckily never had like a, a surgery on my knees um, I used to kind of like go with the worst injury or pain I could have naturally without needing surgery also because usually as soon as the doctor was talking about surgery I got afraid and stopped doing something um, but still had some like damage and a lot of the damage was coming from growing up from like certain type of like partially torn overstretched ligaments to like overuse injuries and cartilage injuries. Um, and a lot of the stuff also happened between the age of like 8, 9ish and 14 when I played a lot of soccer and I just like... I was always going out of like over my limits and like in all of these like contact situations I pushed into my opponents and then like my knees had all of this lateral load. And the, the worst damage I got kind of was like from a lot of the contacts which meant like I usually couldn't really walk after the games. I always like... Limp back home, and every Sunday after the games, my mother was asking me, Why do you do this if you can't even walk to like lunch afterwards? <laughs> and I was like, I enjoy it so much, it's so amazing. But like, this kind of happened nearly every Sunday, or like a lot. Um, and it was kind of a way of like getting rid of emotions, so it was a cool way for me to do it, but it always got worse to the point where I couldn't really walk, where it started to put in my daily life. I had a couple like accidents in the sense that. I kicked like the, the ball, but the ball wasn't there anymore. Instead it was the floor. We had like this uneven muddy ground that in summer, like dried completely stone hard. And I kicked one of these stone hard folks on the like bulges on the floor. And this like kind of like, twisted and rotated my knee outwards a lot. And I don't fully recall what it was. I think it was a partially overstretched MCL. And this happened on my other knee as well. Um, And then with some of the parkour time, I just did like very hard jumps. Gymnastics floor, you can like kick into the floor, like a trampoline and then kick off because it's like rebounding, but that doesn't happen on the floor. I did so much jumping on like the rebounding floor that I had a very bad jumping technique, like stomping the floor instead of using my tendons as springs to jump. And I feel like this and a lot of running, like I did a lot of running with the dog and up to like, I think more than half marathon distances. Um, I tracked it with Google Maps, so I'm not 100% sure how precise it was, but like a lot of these impacts in running the streets just hurt my knees a lot. And this went on from like the age of eight, nine. I was in physical therapy. I had like a, a bit of like a leg distance, length distance diagnosed, but this reverted over time through adolescence. Had like insoles, physical therapy to the full many years, but never did my exercises for everyone listening, especially the kids do your exercises. Once I did them, it helped. I got them, I did my sessions, I got the massages, but didn't do my exercises, it's not a good thing. And I used to always stop when it got too worse and just did a different thing. And that's what, how I got away for nearly 15 years with knee pain, but it always stopped me from like seriously pursuing the acrobatics and jumping. I did some double flips for a certain period, but then my knees were hurting again and stopped doing double flips. And whenever I brought my flips from the soft ground in the gym out on concrete or like glass, started to hurt, so I stopped it again. Um, I had some weird things where I twisted on my knee while being on a soft floor, so that my patella stuck. And for like four years, whenever I did some twisting on the knee, I felt like someone was pouring fire in my knee. I didn't know what it was, I didn't get a diagnosis, but like I could literally not kneel a lot and turn even the slightest, which was awful for BJJ, for acrobatics, for just being on the knees. But that's my pain background story. And then, like, fast forward, I did the squad challenge by Ido Portal in 2014. I had the worst deep squad. Literally, like, I couldn't deep squat. Um I can show you my deep squad now just because it's a nice reference and can motivate anyone.
1: It's so um, good. I, had,
0: uh, <laughs> it's, I don't know if you show it in the camera. i just forward. So,
1: Yeah, for those listening uh, on the podcast. For those listening that can't see, you know, basically being able to get his butt all the way to his heels, yeah. which I, I'm probably about a 30. foot away.
0: Yeah. And it came from literally doing the squat challenge, which was 30 minutes each day in a resting deep squat, paused, just like accumulate time, starting with a minute a eight. And I started this around, like when I started studying IT, sitting on a desk chair that was slightly angling or moving, leaning, so I could have like natural heel elevation. And this was supposed to be a 30 day, 30 minute squat challenge. You can look it up, Edo Portal, 30 minute squat challenge, I think it was around 2014. And as so many times I didn't get the memo about the 30 days, I thought it's 30 (laughs) minutes. So I did this thing for a few years of like, he was saying it's a natural resting position, the, in the Asian culture, like a lot of cultures that they sit on the floor, it's healthy, it's good for their knees, it decompresses it. So I did it. And like I, for some time I did some like video games, not really competitively, but long enough to sit there for a couple hours. My squad was so comfortable. I could literally squat down for like five hours until I had to run to the bathroom. And anyone who was playing video games You can be completely immersed and don't feel your body much, but I was able to do this completely fine. And this was the first thing that really helped my knee because it over months or years restored a lot of mobility, allowed me to fully flex the knee, which kind of works as a type of decompression for some structures. Um, It allowed me to like access more range, but still my my knees were hurting a lot up to the point where I couldn't squat even without weight. And... Being very scientifically interested, what I did was the following. So I did a squat on a scale to see what is the minimum weight where my knees hurt. So I did a regular air squat as the rest, my knees popped and hurt. I held it to like light rubber band, I did another squat. So now I wasn't my full body weight anymore at the point like 80 kilograms. They were like 70 kilograms on the scale only in the bottom position, it still hurt. I repeated this process until I was holding onto the strongest band, Which was taking away nearly sixty kilograms. So my squatability, pain-free, was literally twenty kilograms. Not talking about twenty kilograms added, like literally, like a twenty-kilogram leg press. And this was like devastating for me in a certain way. Understanding, like, okay, that's why my knees don't get better because even in my daily life, in a certain way, it is higher than my current capability. Every time I squat down or do something, and Shortly after I've heard about like the ATG system and I usually didn't get like a trainer or coach, so I would just wanted to sign up and see if they can help me and the day I wanted to sign up, I got a message by Keegan Smith, who had this like trainer education called Real Movement, who was reaching out. He was also doing some movement and I had a lot of people do cold calls on Instagram, you know, if someone texts you, like you do a comment somewhere like, oh, this looks cool. Someone shoots you and shoots you a message. Hey, can I help you with this? I wonder what your background is blah. So I thought it's another one, I guess. But Keegan was really asking me genuine questions relating to posts from a year ago, asking me questions. And it was like, oh, wow, this person is really caring and asked questions that showed me knew like the movement world. And he had this real movement thing with like a 50% discount first month. And back then in 2020, there was a so-called knee ability certification as part of his trainer program done by pancatic. And I was like, I can pay $50 a month to do ATG and hope it's helping my knees, or I can do $100 starting with 50 in the first month to learn how to fix my knees. And being interested on the knowledge side, I signed up there, I started the ATG system. And the two things that really helped me was like the backwards walking and step ups, like this short range work, reverse step ups, sticking to plan for sure, But the second big thing for me was the HG split squat and not even because of the split squat or anything, I was already able to do a front split and stuff like this. My hip flexors were super mobile. The thing that like struck me and it was literally like a revelation for me was if I can't do push-ups, I elevate my hands or my client's hands up to the point where I do push-ups against the wall. And if I take a split squat and I elevate the front foot, the rear foot will carry more load and the front foot will carry less load. And I I literally elevated to hip height on the desk where I was standing with most of my body weight on my rear leg. And out of curiosity, I placed a regular scale on my desk, did a split squat with my foot on it, and I found out that I had these like 10 kilograms, 15 kilograms on my front foot, which was exactly half the weight or my my pain-free weight that I knew from before. I knew I could do like 25, maybe 30 kilograms of an air squat on both legs. So if I have like 15 kilograms on my knee in a split squat on just one leg, it is the same load. And this kind of like made me fall in love with the system or with the ideas behind it, because I felt like, okay, as ridiculous as it sounds, I can regress my double leg unresisted assisted, uh, un sorry, unloaded assisted air squat by just doing a split squat where most of the load is carried by a straight standing leg. Like Standing doesn't hurt me and the bent knee position is super easy and convenient. And that's essentially my background story, fixing my knee pain of like just doing these things. It's essentially just progressive overload. I did nothing else than do some of the routines. A lot of the other stuff like the calf raises I did already, tip raises I didn't do directly. But a part of my ankle routine was standing on my heels and balancing on my heels steadily. Anyone listening tried. It's definitely super hard. To not walk around only stand on your heels and balance and this set my shins on fire so my tips were already quite strong but this idea of regressing the split squat was literally the thing that got me into like doing air squats again and the short range quad work the blood flow all of these things and like paying money for something so that i was forced to do it That all for money pain.
1: <laughs> that's amazing it's it's so nice that well there's a dichotomy there because a lot of um what we find out within these exercises is devastating because okay you have to go so far back to find that accessible position you know you had to put your leg way up on the desk and you could uh, you had to take so much weight off of your body for there to be no pain so in a way that's that's so devastating because it's like oh my gosh i have to go all the way back there i am used to squatting with a bar on my back i I have to take all the weights off the bar and go to negative weight like that that can be really (laughs) hard we have to be humble and and get rid of the ego but then also that's always mixed once you kind of accept that and find your level there's also this optimism and encouragement that comes with oh okay well if i start here and just slowly add i can build it
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's even the reverse psychology. Like if you think about like negative weight, it's a negative number that that doesn't feel like progress. And I I taught women like pull ups with counterweight and a strategy that I implemented a few years ago already was like we're never going to call it counterweight. We're going to train the movement of a pull up. You're going to stand on a scale with the resistance weight, the weight that kind of what it's taking away. And the number that's on the scale left, that's your your weight moving. We're never going to say you do a 20 kilogram, like assisted pull up. And the reason behind it is the following. If I want to progress by let's say like 5% a week or 5% per month, what's 5% progress and minus 20 kilograms? That's very hard to say. If you weigh 50 kilograms and you have 20 kilograms, I had a client weighing like 55, we use 20 kilograms of assistant. That means she was doing 35 kilograms as her movement. And I can now say a 5% progress on this one is that much weight and I increase it every week by this. And that just means I know like if I go from like, let's say like 35 to 37, then just means, okay, what's your current weight? Let's find out the counterweight that I have to subtract so that you're left with 37 that you're pulling. Next week we do 39, then 40, 42, 44, 45, and so on, like small steps. and. This is a much more positive way of thinking about it. And that's how you can get someone to feel like I need to use a system for my one arm pull-up, my pull-up, my whatever hands and push-up towards I actually make progress and I can actually use training science, progressive schemes that I know from other training programs. And this is what was so cool for the system because I literally tracked the number on the scale in my split squats. Like I use this camera rack that I just like <laughs> tripod, attach it in front of me, camera is filming downwards on the the figure on the scale and then i see literally how it goes up and down wow. and then i later on realized it's better to not use a, um, a digital scale because the numbers change so quickly use an analog scale where you just see this point pointer move a bit up and down because if it goes between 40 and 45 up and down you can't read the number even on a slow-mo camera but if it's a pointer you see it's never below 40 never above 45. that's it Brilliant. And This was the most motivating thing for me. And then I just did like a, essentially when I unlocked like my ATG split squat, I found out, okay, that's like 80% of my body weight on my front leg and the bottom position and like 20% of my rear leg. So now in the future, I can use this with my clients. I can literally say you need to go from your current ability to this ability. I know that a progress of like 5% per month is super healthy. 5% per week can be a bit too much. So we have to find a sweet spot there. And like, I work with like a certain sweet spot from the current number. And then I can tell them like, okay, your, currently, your current ability is there. If your mobility increases accordingly, then I know you will be with your flat ground split squat in so many weeks. And I know that a regular back squat is 100% of my body weight. This is 50% per leg. And 50% per leg is roughly the same thing I have with a knee high elevation on the front foot on the HG split squat. So I can now start to say, if I get someone to a knee-high elevated front, like front foot elevated HD split squat, sorry for the long term, I have roughly 50% of my body weight on this front leg. And this means that I can now very likely do a pain-free back squat. Mm-hmm.
1: That makes a lot of sense. It's kind of easy to see the math there and a good way to yeah. break it down. And and I guess we we also, also should bring up the fact that Within this, we're trying to achieve that full range. So before adding any of that resistance or before lowering that front foot to add more resistance to the knee, we're looking to get a full bend in the knee, correct?
0: Yes, yes, exactly, yeah. And there's a lot of benefits coming from like getting a full bend. So like, it's a bit complicated for me because like the ATG system is not reinventing the wheel. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of the criticism that goes Towards the ATG system is that some say like they they claim like to reinvent the training wheel and in a certain way for me it was never the thing that ATG was saying like this is the thing we came up in its original best way and other things are stupid. It's more for me like I knew a lot of things like 80% of the movements of the AGE system were introduced in the movement culture and who for anyone doesn't know in the background like Ben Patrick is a was a student of Charles Poliquin and like. Charles Polican was a very like bipolarly viewed coach, but he did amazing stuff. And Edu Portal went to Charles Polican and, and like credited him with a lot of stuff as well. So in a certain way, you can say if a lot of uh, some of the ideas in ATG that are also criticized, and some of the ideas that the movie culture were doing, they might have been stemming from similar resources. So if like AGG calls a KOT squad, the original name was like a sissy squad. Um, this is stuff that I did for years already and also regressing and progressing it we did and a lot of the stretches and the movements we're doing this is not a reinvention, but this is especially why I joined ATG because I connected with a lot of the ideas and this also allows me to teach it nowadays 90% of the stuff that I'm teaching to the coaches nowadays as part of the ATG system I knew before already and the other 10% is like super amazing invention and things. But this means like, I'm not just saying, oh, I know this stuff for two years, I'm teaching it now. No, some of these things I learned 2010 from a blog. So that's like 13 years ago now. And this means like, I can't say if for 13 years I tested with clients and everyone, some of the stuff is super working amazingly. And one of the concept is train full range. And we just do research on it and say like, okay, there are benefits to it. Like a, t- a tendon benefits from having a certain stretch to it. And a tendon is a very, very stiff, hard to stretch tissue. So if a muscle is not having a lot of force or a lot of stretch, the stretch doesn't end up in the tendon. And again, like if you want to test it, take a strong resistance band and a light resistance band and p- attach them to each other so that they're in line and pull them apart. Nearly all of the stretch will happen on the light resistance band, not the strong one. And this is what happens if you try to stretch a muscle that's super relaxed, the tendon doesn't get much of a stretch. Only if you really stretch the muscle a lot, so the muscle starts to contract to resist the stretch, it starts to become stiffer and the tendon gets a stretch. And tendons needs to have a certain stretch to be elastic. And these principles, in a very simple way, is what you can see in ATG as we train full range and this is one of the benefits from it. And it's not a reinvention of the wheel, it just makes certain things more available. And if someone doesn't like it, so it is. Like, I I don't care if someone says like, that's the perfect system or like they make up stuff. Everyone is marketing stuff as their own invention. Is it the nicest thing? I don't know. But the cool thing is a lot of these things are rooted already. Evidence is supporting them. The range training we're doing, there's like logic behind it. And this logic, many coaches can learn. It improves their toolbox and it fixed my knees. It fixed many people's joints, it's principles. So you can apply these principles to other joints as well. And then you become like, hopefully a better coach.
1: Nicely said brother. And it's certainly helping a lot of other people out there. So there's, you know, regardless of opinions, I guess if, if it helps someone, then, then that's valuable. Um, is there anything as yeah. we're as we're kind of wrap up here um is there anything that you're looking forward to or a project that you're working on or something that you're studying um what are you what are you looking at right now and then um, are there any places for folks to go online if they want to learn about you or um, anything you want to point them toward? Yeah, absolutely.
0: so I do a lot of things at the same time. And I recently, this year, I'm trying to focus on more things. So that I'll, I'll try to keep it simpler, but like um, I love working with coaches and educating them both through ATG for Coaches and through myself. So if anyone wants to reach out to me and is interested in learning directly or indirectly from me, you're welcome to reach out. Um, I used to like, I created this brand called Strange of Motion, originally with the idea to connect the word strength and range of motion. And if you put them together, you have strength and range of motion as the word strange of motion, which also means you are like strange of motion being old English for like having strange motion. I am strange of motion. So you can reach me under info at strangeofmotion.com. Now that I do more project, I zoomed out into what is called like off motion mm-hmm. as the bigger brand. That's kind of like an umbrella brand. So you can also reach out to me there under like off motion or info at of motion.com in connection to this term i used to always be called like Franz," um, which is german and you spell it literally like in english rich tiger Franz." so my instagram for the last five years was literally read as rich tiger france but rich tiger is if you spell it in german it's called richtiger slightly pronounced and this just means the real the original something like this because i, love that. I had some Nerdy traits and friends called me. You're like a, you're a real France. France is not a common name in Germany. It's a bit older name, and I'm a bit nerdy, so they called me. You, you're such a France as like a nice, friendly thing. So I called myself like such a France in German, wichtiger France. And but over the years, everyone was reaching out and calling me like, hey, Rich, because they thought Rich is my first name, like Richard or something like this. And so that's why I changed my Instagram to Franz of Motion. So feel free to reach out to me on the front of motion. I'm super happy to connect. You, you hear it at me. I talk a lot, so I'm happy to share. And I, that's the easiest way because I have a lot of projects in the pipes from like anatomy of motion, which will be like a anatomy based logical trainer education for movement, for form coaching, for stuff like this. Um, I don't know if this will be accessible in ATT for coaches in the future, but that's something in the pipes. Um, I work on some like movement, handstand coachings. Many things. So just reach (laughs) out and I'm super happy to share.
1: So exciting. Uh, I'm really happy that you took the time with me and uh, and I knew you had a lot to a lot of value to bring. So thank you so much for the conversation. Much appreciated.
0: Thank you so much. It was amazing being hosted. Appreciate your questions. Um, If I went off track a couple times, I'm sorry for that. And I super much enjoyed it.